If you have your Bibles this morning, would you open up to Galatians chapter 5, pretty please? encourage you to take a couple of notes this morning and follow along with us. Galatians chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse 16 here in just a moment. Uh, We have grown up being told that humans have a deficient sense of smell, especially compared to the animal world. Uh, But a study at the University of Sweden in 2014 showed that the human nose can distinguish at least one trillion different odors, up from the previous estimate of 10,000. We can smell more things than we have words to describe them. Now, it might come as a surprise to you to know that your nose is far more powerful than you think. It came as a surprise to me, and granted, I've been gifted an extraordinary schnoz, right? In the profile, it looks magnificent, doesn't it? Um, but very surprised to know that our noses, our sense of smell is that powerful. It might also come as a surprise to you to know that you have more power than you realize in your battle against sin in your life. Have you ever felt like you were fighting a losing battle against sin? Perhaps you fought and failed over and over. You know that frustration really well. You know the heaviness, the persistence of it from day to day. Maybe you're mired in the fight right now. Maybe worst of all, you, you're just sort of given up. You just don't care. You fought and fought, and you feel like you're never going to get past this sin. I often find that Christians are well acquainted with Paul's cry. In Romans 7.24, he said, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? We've been there. We know that place. What difference would it make in your life if you could employ the omnipotence, the eternal power of God the Holy Spirit in your battle against your own sin? Could you be freed from habitual sin, from bitterness, from uncontrolled anger, from toxic conflict? Just fill in the blank. What is the sin you would address in your life if you had access to the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever considered what would happen if you did not address it? What if we just let that sin run amok in our lives without addressing it in any way? Well, Paul told us last week in the passage we studied then what it looks like whenever we allow sin to live unchecked in our lives. In Galatians 5.15, he described it this way. He said, you will devour each other. Your marriage, your parenting, your singleness... Your work, just the places you live, every human relationship is impacted negatively by our sin. There's no place in your life where your sin has made you a better person in relationship. The blast radius is real. The consequences are serious. Sin is a destroyer and it destroys our relationships. That alone could be motivation for you and I to fight anew against the sin in our lives. There's a better way than just letting sin have its way with us. And that's what Paul gives us today. The passage we're studying this morning taught the Galatian Christians how the Holy Spirit in them gave them power to remove sin from their lives and also to flourish in Christ-like attitudes and actions. It's these kinds of attitudes and actions that help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
So my purpose in preaching this passage today is to empower you in your battle against sin and in your pursuit of holy living. If we study this right today, we're going to walk out of these doors with fresh strength for the fight ahead. So I want to show you in this passage four ways that God the Holy Spirit helps us in our battle against sin. And would you follow along with me in your Bible as I read Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. It'll be here on the screen also if you don't have your Bible with you. Here's what Paul writes. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Spiritual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. How does the Holy Spirit help us in our battle against sin? Paul lays out four ways the Holy Spirit helps us. It's the way that this passage is structured. The first way the Holy Spirit helps us in our battle against sin is the Holy Spirit gives us power over sin when we yield to Him. The power of the Holy Spirit that we would employ against sin in our lives is not some hypothetical, it's not just some theological statement. It is an actual power, a practical power, that we access by yielding to the Holy Spirit. In our passage, to begin with, Paul identifies two different ways of living. One is by the Spirit, the other is by the flesh. And he uses a figure of speech in verse 16 to describe life by the Spirit. He says we are to walk by the Spirit. So what does that mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, to walk by the Spirit means this. It means we yield. I've already used that word. We yield to the Spirit. We let Him have first place in every aspect of our lives every day. Here's what it looks like to yield to the Holy Spirit. In our community, we have several different places where there are traffic circles or roundabouts, if you prefer. And the rules for entering the roundabout, the rule is this. Yield to the left. That means if there's a car coming from your left, they have the right of way. They get to go first. I just set someone free this morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yield to the left at the traffic circle. That's the sermon. Goodbye. See you later. No. When I yield to that car, I'm saying that car has the right of way. That car gets to go first. And so it is in my relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. If I yield to the Holy Spirit, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you have the right of way. You go first before me in my life. I'm going to follow you. I yield to you. When my desires are contrary to your will, when my passions are contrary to your will, when my living is sinful... I'm going to access the power to change it by yielding to you. I will live in your will and in your way. 
Now, what's the alternative to walking by the Spirit? Paul tells us the alternative is carrying out the desires of the flesh. Now, this word flesh means something more than just body, although it does mean that. It describes the part of me that does not want what God wants. It's my corrupt human nature in all its weakness and depravity. Christians are daily in a battle with our flesh. The result of this conflict is that we don't always do what we want to do. Verse 17, Paul says that often we do exactly the opposite because the flesh wars against the spirit. Now you might say, well, I thought I was saved by faith in Christ. I thought I was freed from sin. Well, you are. You are freed from sin's ultimate power and its punishment. But we're not freed from the day-to-day battle that requires us to work on our sanctification in concert with God the Holy Spirit. Every day, Christians battle against the flesh. I mean, how many of us know this struggle? We all know what it's like to do sinful things that we don't want to do. And it leaves us thinking, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I feel that? That's not the kind of person I want to be. So you're in a battle with your flesh. And how many times have you felt defeated, done in, maybe even wondered if you were still a Christian? It's not uncommon that Christians who battle sin would feel as if maybe they've lost the grip on their salvation. I've had this conversation quite a bit. I've wrestled with this personally. Is the presence of sin in my life, does that mean that I'm not really a child of God? But as we read Paul here in Galatians 5, we have to remember he's speaking to believers. The battle between spirit and flesh is a battle for every believer. If you struggle in this, you're not unique. You're just a follower of Jesus Christ. The battle is not a sign that you're not a believer, but the fact that you are convicted of sin, that you are engaging in warfare against it, is in fact evidence that you belong to God. Now now there's a rock-solid promise here in verse 16. If this stirs up fear or anxiety, you need this promise from verse 16. Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If I yield to God the Holy Spirit in my life, God, I want your will to be done in me in every relationship, in every arena that I find myself. I yield it to you. I will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That promise doesn't mean you won't be tempted. You will. But it means that when the temptation comes, you know the way past it. You know the way through. It doesn't mean that the battle is easy. It doesn't mean it's just a one-and-done type of decision. Sometimes Christians battle sin just one step at a time. So that's why we would walk by the Spirit. This step is yours, Father. And this step is yours. I don't know what's going to happen in the next step, but this one, this one is yours. So you need to know that your sin does not have the upper hand in your life. It's not a fair battle. As if forces of evil and forces of good are duking it out to see who's going to win. We know who wins. But the power that defeats sin in our lives comes when we yield to God the Holy Spirit through humble obedience to His Word. There's a second way the Holy Spirit helps us in our battle against sin. And it's this, the Holy Spirit exposes our sin. This is very important. If you and I are going to win this battle... We have to know who we're in warfare against. What is the sin that we're addressing uh, in our day-to-day lives? 
So Paul gives us a long list of actions that fit under the heading works of the flesh. Paul often uses these types of lists. It's a common literary tool that Paul uses. You can find similar lists to this one in Romans chapter 1. We read Colossians chapter 3 this morning. uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, uh, Where else? Um, Yeah, those are 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So Paul uses lists like these often to get our minds moving, to get us introspective. Now these lists are never meant to be exhaustive. Like this is not the official only list of works of the flesh. Nothing else can be added to it. That's not Paul's intent here. It's not an exhaustive list, not an exclusive list. And we know in this instance in particular because Paul ends his list with this phrase. He names all these sins and then he says, and anything else similar. Fill in the blank with whatever Paul did not include. Now this list from verses 19 to 21 is a long list. But it might help us to see the list better if we were to categorize them. We don't have to rearrange the different items to do that. We can categorize them just as they sit. Let me give you four categories that, are, that show up here in this list of sins. First is sexual sin. Paul lists sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. Second would be religious sin. He names idolatry and sorcery. We talked about idolatry last week. It's far more common Far more prevalent than what we want to admit or believe. We spoke specifically about political idolatry last week. Sorcery, that may seem a little silly. Evokes images of Harry Potter and and all of that. Again, this is an issue that I think is far more present than than we realize or we want to realize. Every New Age healing center on the South Shore is a haven of sorcery and witchcraft of all kinds. It's demonic. Relational sin, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. These are all things that are present in our relationships with other people. This is where Paul's list gets really done. Here's what the church normally likes to do. We will fixate on the sexual sins. We will lob bombs at those that that we know struggle with sins that we don't, or at least hypothetically we don't. And then we'll ignore these others. We'll treat the sexual sins as more dangerous than these others. But Paul doesn't treat it that way. So when we read about jealousy or outbursts of anger. Have you ever lived with someone who had an uncontrollable temper? It is hellish. These are not small sins compared to other grand sins in this list. These are all people devouring sins. The last few he lists is what we could call sins of excess. They are drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. What else could we include under anything similar? Racism, bigotry, misogyny, lying, stealing, you name it. There's so many sins that we could further populate this list with. Now, Paul caps this, or he ends this small section with a warning, and it's something we need to give our attention to. Verse 21, Paul says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that mean that if I struggle with one of these sins, I'm not really a Christian? Should I be afraid that my salvation is not true? We need to bring very careful balance to this question. 
On the one hand, we need to confess the utter seriousness of sin. We can't look at this list and Paul's warning flippantly as if it doesn't belong to us or or pertain to us in any way. We have to take this with the utmost seriousness. People who are mired in unrepentant sin, who are living according to the flesh without conviction or repentance, friend, you may in fact not be a child of God. So do not treat sin in your life lightly. Don't excuse it in any amount. The Holy Spirit is present in us to convict us of sin. So you should regularly pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to see your sin for what it is. So on the one hand, our sin is utterly serious. But on the other hand, believers are truly secure in their salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. We need not fear that or doubt that. Those of you this morning that are struggling with feelings of security in your salvation, this is, the, this is where the tempter would get you to really doubt and for your anxiety to spike. But that's not needed in this moment. If you can say, I'm putting everything on Christ for my salvation. Paul doesn't give us this list as a new law. As if, if I can check these boxes and I don't do these sins, I automatically have favor with God. That's just not the case. We're saved not by avoiding sin. We're saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. So don't add fear or doubt or anxiety to your salvation. Christ holds us and he holds us secure. This list is a list of sins that we have been freed from by faith in Christ. We're freed from them in an eternal judgment sense. But we still have to do battle with them in a sanctification sense. And if you would talk to a Christian who has walked with the Lord for decades, here's what they tell me, that in their lives, God is still revealing sin. They're still in active repentance. We're still learning what holiness requires of us. So we're not there. We're not sinlessly perfect. We're not in glory yet. And because of that, since our faith is in Christ, we can battle these sins. When the Holy Spirit exposes them in us, Our response should be humble gratitude and a long repentance. Fight that sin until it is dead in your life. Get the resources and the help you need, the accountability you need, the encouragement you need, the discipleship you need to address these things. So that your life as a follower of Jesus Christ is not marked by these works of the flesh. The Holy Spirit gives us grace in exposing our sin and leading us in our repentance. Third way the Holy Spirit helps us in our battle against sin is the Holy Spirit cultivates holiness in us. He doesn't just alert us to sin. He also produces holiness in our day-to-day living. So Paul's given us a list that constitutes the works of the flesh. Now he gives us another list. And this time he identifies what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. This is the reason, these verses right here are the reason why Galatians uh, is on anyone's radar ever. This is is the mountaintop material, so to speak, uh, in our treatment of Galatians. Now, Paul lists these fruit of the Spirit. Again, just like the previous list, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not Paul saying, these and only these are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This list gives us some, but not all of the fruit. And it's right for us to think about these 
attributes, as things the Holy Spirit, characteristics the Holy Spirit grows in us, the way fruit grows from a tree, but these aren't merely the outgrowth of salvation. These are the blessings of salvation. God, the Holy Spirit, gives us these things in our relationship with Him. What are the things that He gives us? Love. It's the greatest of all of these. It's hard to categorize this list of fruit of the Spirit. There have been various attempts to do so, and that's, that's not a problem. But I think one thing everyone would agree with is that love is the champion of this list. It's the champion attribute of God. Uh, it's uh, the very substance of what it means to be a Christian. Joy is rock-solid confidence in the Lord regardless of the circumstance. No matter what quarantine looks like, no matter how long it lasts, Christian joy has confidence in God that transcends our circumstances. Peace is not just the absence of warfare, it's the presence of flourishing. To say we have peace with God is not just to mean we're not at war with Him anymore. It means now we are in His blessing. He has given us an inheritance. And when we have peace with God, we can have peace with each other. Patience is endurance in the face of hardship. It's a slow fuse. Kindness is a constant readiness to help. Goodness, closely related to kindness, it it communicates a moral excellence. It's our moral goodness that's been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness is the trustworthiness that comes from trusting God. A faithful person is one who's reliable for important tasks. Loyal to friends, someone who keeps their word. Gentleness, sometimes translated meekness. This is a person who has a sweet spirit towards God and towards others and towards the daily frustrations of life. This is a person who's not easily angered but is humble and mild. I love faithful, gentle people. The final one is self-control. This is a reference to our self-discipline or moderation when it comes to our appetites. Now you may look at this list and might think, I'm not so much a patience person, so I'll double up on some goodness and we'll just call it good. But you've got to remember, this is not the fruits of the Spirit, as if you get to pick and choose what you want and in what amount you want it. This is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. It comes as one big bounty from God to you. So no fruit on this list is a small thing. These are the gifts of God to us to help us live in a Christ-like way. In fact, the amazing thing about all of these qualities, when we look at them together, it's like we're looking at a portrait of Jesus Christ. One writer called this a character sketch of Christ. All of these are present in him to perfection. So we may think that some of these are small things, but they're not. In fact, these characteristics are really supernatural. These are the qualities that the Godhead developed in us. We don't access them apart from a relationship with Christ. Now, here's where you get to push back and say, well, Cody, I know kind people who are not Christians. And I know patient people who are not Christians. That's true. We all do. But a non-Christian can no more understand or exhibit love in the way God, who is love, has created and intended for it to be than anyone else can. We, apart from Christ, cannot know love, cannot know patience, cannot know kindness. The world's definition 
decaying and sinful as it is, may call us kind or patient or gentle. But the Christ-like manifestation of these things comes from a relationship with Jesus. They're supernatural. They're world changers. Isn't that the voice of the church also often? How are we going to impact our world for Christ? What if, what if we started right here? What if we really anchored ourselves in this kind of holiness? Holy Spirit, grow in me this fruit that I might love my neighbor as myself. The list of sins and the list of fruit that Paul has given us could be understood like a garden. Gardens have weeds that need to be removed, just like the sin in our lives needs to be removed. But if all you have is a weedless patch of mulch, you don't have much of a garden. You need something beautiful to fill that space, something like roses, perhaps. The Holy Spirit doesn't just pluck weeds in our lives. He grows roses. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the life and character and words and actions of Christ in us. The Holy Spirit exposes our sin, kill this. He cultivates holiness, grow this. So that in our marriages and in our parenting and in our work ethic and in our neighborliness and in every arena of our lives, we exhibit the character, the life of Jesus Christ. God, the Holy Spirit helps us in these ways. He gives us power when we yield to him. He exposes our sins so we can repent. He grows our holiness. And finally, God, the Holy Spirit guides us in our love for one another. Verse 24, Paul says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When did that happen? When did you, you who belong to Christ, when did you crucify your flesh with its passions and desires? Well, you did that when you said yes to Jesus Christ. At your conversion, you died to the world and the world died to you. Prior to your conversion, you lived according to the world's passions and desires. You wanted a happiness and you followed sinful desires to try and get there. And at your conversion, when you said yes to Christ, all of that was killed. The goal remains the same, this happiness, this joy in life. But now we don't have the world's passions and desires. We have the passions and desires of God the Holy Spirit who guides us in His direction. We finally get what we've wanted and it's better than what we ever imagined, what we ever dreamed. God's gifts to us are perfect and incredible. And since this is true, according to verse 25, we now live in step with the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. Three different times Paul's used figures of speech to describe our life with the Spirit. In this passage, we walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We're in step with the Spirit. To be in step with the Spirit, again, means, we, means we're living in the guidelines He provides. His will. This is, the, this is the path to blessing, the path of abundant life. Here it is. And so it should come as no surprise then that one sure sign that we're growing in Christ-likeness is our love for our neighbor. Whenever we live within the Holy Spirit's guidelines, He keeps us from the sins of verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
And before you write off love of neighbor, <laughs> before you think, that's just not so big a deal, that's pretty cliche, we hear that a lot, I want you to remember the words of Jesus from John thirteen thirty five. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How does the world know we belong to Christ? All too often, churches define their allegiance to Christ by the things we oppose. And to be fair, there are some things that we need to oppose publicly. What if we believed the words of Christ? And what if we believed the words of Paul? And instead of being known by what we oppose, what if we tried to be known by what we are for? What if we bore the unmistakable identity of Christ in our love for our neighbor? world does not carry love of neighbor in high regard and does not practice it well. The church is perfectly positioned this very cultural moment to do something radical that no one else is doing, to love our neighbor as ourself in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's be those kinds of married couples. Let's be those kinds of single people, those kinds of parents, those kinds of retirees, that kind of church. So Paul has shown us that God the Holy Spirit helps us in amazing ways in our battle against sin. He gives us power when we yield to Him. He helps us to recognize and repent from our sin. He cultivates the character of Christ in us. And He leads us in love for our neighbor. How's your walk? Are you walking by the Spirit? Living by the Spirit? In step with the Spirit? Or are you losing to your flesh? Do any of the sins mentioned by Paul have a presence in your life? Perhaps it's a sin he didn't list, but you know. Are you holding to the promise of eternal life while ignoring the power for abundant life? Paul's been so practical this morning. He's told us what to do. Yield to the Spirit. Recognize our sin and repent. Cultivate holiness. Love your neighbor. So maybe the missing piece for you is not the knowledge of how to fight sin, but the motivation to do it. So let me fill up your motivation tank by reminding you of the power of Jesus over the power of Satan. In Jesus' earthly ministry, one of the ways he showed his superiority over Satan and all spiritual powers was by casting out demons. I want to share with you a few examples of this from the Gospel of Matthew alone. And in sharing these, I'm not saying you're possessed by a demon. That's not the point. I'm showing you the unmatched power of Christ over your tempter. In Matthew 4.24, sick people and the demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and he healed them all. In Matthew 8.16, many people were brought to him who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word. In Matthew 9.32, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. In Matthew 12.22, a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to Jesus. He healed him so the man could both speak and see. In Matthew 15, he cast a demon out of a young girl. And in Matthew 17, he cast a demon out of a small boy. These are examples of Christ's unmatched power against Satan, who is your tempter. But Christ's power doesn't stop there. Just when Satan thought he had won. And the body of Jesus lay dead in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he rose and walked out of that tomb victorious over sin and death. 
And just in case that isn't enough, Revelation chapter 19 gives us a glimpse at Christ's final, ultimate victory over Satan. John describes it this way, starting in Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. The rider on it is called Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth, so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What sin in your life stands a chance against a Savior like that? So fight today. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Repent. Be sanctified. And love your neighbor. Do not let past failures leave you spiritually paralyzed. Let Christ's victory at the cross and his victory at the end of all things renew your resolve to battle your sin to its death. John Bunyan knew well the power of God in his battle against his own sin. And Bunyan is attributed with the following little poem. Run, John, run, the law commands. It gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. You are so loved. God the Father gave God the Son to die for your sin. And God the Spirit indwells you to give you more and more freedom with every passing day. You are not alone in this battle. You are equipped and empowered for victory by God the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, it is time to fly. I want to take a quick moment and talk to you if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm glad you came to church this morning and you jumped through all the hoops to get here. In verse 24, you you heard me read these words. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. It's not a given that everyone belongs to Christ Jesus. You might say, well, Cody, I have a lot of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm loving and kind and good. But friend, if you think those characteristics are the reasons why... God will do you well, then you reveal that you, in fact, do not belong to Christ. Regardless of the good you do, you can never be good enough to make up for your sin against God. None of us can. But here is the good news. Even though your sin separates you from God and there's nothing you can do on your own to earn his favor, God loves you and he provided one who can fix it. That's Jesus. Jesus is so important because he's fully God and fully human. Since he's the God-man born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life. And that means he alone is qualified to die for your sin. Jesus gave his life and died on the cross in your place. And on the cross, he experienced all of God's wrath for your sin. And by his blood, he atoned for your sin. He died on that cross and three days later was resurrected from the dead. He alone is the God's perfect and only sacrifice for your sin. Jesus loves you and promises to forgive you and give you eternal life if you will turn from your sin 
and trust entirely in Jesus for your salvation. No longer will you be ruled by the brokenness listed in our passage. Instead, your turn to Jesus gives you new life, new identity, a new eternity. Is this your day to trust in Jesus? Would you turn your life to Christ today and let him change you forever? Don't wait another moment. I encourage you to use just a simple prayer this morning. A quiet moment on your own before you leave this room or when you get home today. Just in a simple prayer, voice your trust in Christ and your turn to him. God knows your heart. There's no magic prayer, no magic words. He will save you when you say yes to him. And if you have questions and want to talk more about this, I want you to grab me or one of the other pastors after the service. And let's have this conversation that today you would know eternal life in Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for all the ways you lead us away from sin. We know it's destructive power in our lives. We know the frustrations of our losing attempts. So thank you for the omnipotence you make accessible to us in this battle. Thank you that sin is a defeated foe already. So in the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to know your will, to see our sin, to repent from it, to grow holiness in us, help us to walk in your way. Help us to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to be in step with the Spirit, that you would be honored and glorified in our lives, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us be known as your disciples by our love for one another. And give us your strength, Father, in our battle against sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.